a look at a statement that is made by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 21, as an introduction, and then we're going to move to another passage that we'll focus on for our lesson this morning. But in Romans chapter 9, Paul is addressing the subject of, of God's choice and election and matters that fit into his argument in the book of Romans. But he makes a statement in verse 21 that I want us to, to think just a moment about. He actually um, raises the question, does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Now, the direction we're going to take with this lesson really doesn't fit that statement in the argument that Paul is making in the book of Romans, but I think it's interesting that we see this phrase, this idea of a vessel for honorable use. Of course, a vessel is a container. The Bible speaks of, of our bodies as vessels, but here is the idea that, that a vessel can be used either for common things or it can be used for honor. Now we go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I go to that other passage just because it sort of presents the idea, but this is more fully developed here when Paul writes that one who conducts himself in a certain way will be a, a vessel for honor. And here again is the idea that one would live their lives in such a way as to bring honor to God, as to bring honor to the gospel, to the message of the gospel. But there are certain ideas that would naturally attach to that idea that would make us vessels for honor. And when you think about the life that God has given us, and we've all been given a life, this, this life is, a, is an opportunity. We are to use it for his honor. And we are to live our lives and to conduct ourselves in such a way so that we bring honor to him. And it begs the question, as you look at your life and as you think about the way that you conduct yourself, the things you say, the things you do, is that true? That you are a vessel for honor. Well, let's look at what he states here in the passage that helps us to think about what that means. And the first idea that he presents here is that of being sanctified. He says he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Well, to be sanctified means to be set apart. If you study the Bible, if you study that word, and that is a Bible word, the idea of being sanctified or sanctification, it's very similar to the, the concept of being holy as God is holy. It's the thought that we have been set apart. And if we're going to be vessels for honor, if my life is going to be to bring honor to God, then my life has to be different. A comment was made in the Bible class earlier about one in a particular religious group who, who would have the, the idea that he could, once, once he becomes a Christian, once he makes that decision, he can live his life however he wants to live his life without any consequence eternally. He's going to be saved regardless of the choices that he makes, the way he lives, the things that he says, the things that he does. He's going to be saved regardless. 
Well, that, that's not what it means to be sanctified. That's not what it means to be set apart or to be saved. There is some responsibility that attaches to that. At the same time, I think we need to realize that to be sanctified, to be set apart, while it involves action, the action is motivated by what God has done. Stay with me. The action or the behavior is motivated by what God has done. When you look at that word sanctified, and, and we're going to look at just a few verses, you're going to see that there, there is God at work in that sanctification, but then there is the responsibility placed upon us as well when it comes to this matter of being set apart. Notice in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. In Hebrews 10 and verse 10, the, the author of the Hebrew letter states, by this will, now when he says this will, he's speaking of the exercise of the will of Christ. You go back up in the preceding verses and, and, and he speaks of Jesus who said that God gave me this body and this body was given to be given. That's why God gave Jesus a, a fleshly body. That's why he came to this earth. But by this will, that is the exercise of the will of Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross, we have been what? Hebrews 10 verse 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I've been sanctified. If I'm going to be a vessel for honor, I have to give recognition to that fact that God has set me apart. He wants my life to be given in service in such a way so as to honor him. You see the same thought expressed in verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 10. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And again, that reaches to behavior. You go back up in verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Well, if I continue to persist in a sinful lifestyle, the question is raised, what kind of punishment do you think you're going to experience if you continue to do that? You have insulted the spirit of grace. You have trampled underfoot the Son of God and you have regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which you were set apart, by which you were sanctified. So God here is doing his work, but he expects some response. And the response that God expects is for me to be different. Chapter 13, verse 12 of the book of Hebrews. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood. And again, that just simply reinforces what we've already said about God doing his part and Jesus in the exercise of his own will choosing to sacrifice his blood so that I might be set apart. Well, if I've been set apart, what am I to do now? Just live like everyone else? Just be like the rest of the world? Or do I have some responsibility to be different? Well, I think if you look at the Bible and you read the scriptures, you'll come to see, again, 
there is some responsibility. There is something that we must do. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but here's your response, sanctify Christ. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Well, if I've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus, it naturally follows that I'm going to sanctify him. I'm going to sanctify Christ as what? As Lord. Now, we're going to come to that in our second point. But I am to set him apart as Lord. That's what I need to do. He is my master, and so I'm going to live my life in accordance with his directives, which is going to take me in a manner different from that of the world. And then in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, you'll notice going to verse uh, 13. Actually, let's go back to chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, realize I got those different from what I put on the, uh, the overhead. But I said earlier that the idea of being holy is the same as being sanctified. Well, if you look at Peter's statement here in chapter 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours. I'm setting myself apart from the, from the world. But like the Holy One, God who called you, who set you apart, be holy, be sanctified yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. And this brings the two ideas together that here is God at work and my response is I'm going to continue that sanctifying work by living my life differently. Second point Paul makes here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, if you want to be a vessel for honor, you also must be useful to the master. Useful to the master. I'm not going to focus on this idea of being useful. You understand what that means is that if you're a vessel for honor, then you're not to be used for common purposes. You're to be used for purposes that will bring honor or glory to God. You are to make yourself available, and then God can and God will use you. I want to focus on the idea, though, here of the word that he uses, master. We began this lesson with the, the verse in the book of Romans that there is the, the potter and there is the clay. Well, the potter has the right to dictate how the clay lives his or her life. Jesus is our master. Jesus is our Lord. Have you ever noticed, and I'm going to challenge you to do this as you read through the scriptures, I want you to think about every time you see a reference to Jesus as being Lord because it is there repeatedly in the Bible. One reference I did not put up here. You remember when Jesus told his disciples that it is enough for the disciple to be as his teacher? And then he said it's the same as a slave and a master. Well, if, if I'm your master and you're my slave, then you're going to have to act like me. 
And there against that idea of being set apart from the world as was Christ, there's that idea of being sanctified so as to be a vessel for God's honor. But in Acts the second chapter, when Peter brought his sermon to a conclusion, he presented Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. He presented Jesus as one who was attested by God by virtue of the miracles that he performed so as to prove himself to be the Son of God. Therefore, verse 36, Acts 2, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both. We like the idea of having a Messiah. We want a Savior. But do we want a Master? He has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's emphasis placed upon the fact that if you're going to become a child of God, if you believe in Jesus, you must accept him not only as the Savior, as the Messiah, but also as the Master. You have given up your rights. If you want to be a vessel for honor, you have given up your rights. Now look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at a couple of examples of conversion here where this, this idea of Jesus being Lord is brought into the discussion. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip went up to Samaria, we read in the story in verse 16 about the reasons why the apostles sent apostles to Samaria so that they could lay their hands on those who had been baptized, they'd receive the Holy Spirit, and then they'd be able to perform miracles. But the statement is made there in verse 16, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them, that is the Holy Spirit. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. If you're reading along in your Bible, you know I've left something out. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 16, what did I leave out? If you're reading in your Bible, what did I leave out? Acts 8 and verse 16, he says you've been baptized in the name of the Lord. Jesus. You see the emphasis there? You're not just baptized by the authority of Jesus, who is the Savior, but you are also baptized in the Lord Jesus. Now look at chapter 19 when Paul came to the city of Ephesus. There were certain ones who had received only the baptism of John the Immerser, so he went on to teach them more completely the gospel. But then he asked the question, or when he, you see the statement, excuse me, in verse 5 of Acts chapter 19, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. What did I leave out? Acts 19 verse 5, what did I leave out? If you're, if you're looking in your Bibles, what, what did I not state? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, he is the master. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul was writing about the sins that the Corinthians had previously practiced, he then stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. With your baptism, you were set apart, but you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, so more of you are looking at your Bibles. What did I leave out? 
you were, you, were bad, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think there's a message here? Now look at Romans chapter 10. We speak often of this passage when we talk about the importance of confession. And there is belief in this statement as well. But in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if you, are, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? As Lord. You confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all of this just to say, if you want to be a vessel for honor, if I want to be a vessel for honor, if I'm going to be useful, then I'm going to have to be a slave. I can't go through life always talking about what's important to me. I can't go through life always talking about what matters most to me. I can't put me ahead of Jesus. I have to be like John the, Immer the Immerser who said that he must increase, but I must decrease. If he is going to be my master, then I must truly be his slave. If I'm going to be useful, I'm going to have to recognize that he is the Lord. And then the last thought that's presented here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21 is to be prepared for every good work. If I'm going to be useful, I'm going to have to set myself apart. I'm going to have to confess that Jesus is Lord so that I can now be useful. You can't be useful without that depth of humility. And now I'm just going to have to get ready. I'm going to have to get ready. The Bible presents the message that as children of God, that's what we are to be doing. That's our business. Whether or not the opportunity presents itself today, I still need to, I still need to be ready. I need to be engaging in preparation so as to be ready for every good work. I can't be useful if I'm not ready. I can't be useful in the game if I'm not going to practice, if, if I don't know the playbook, if I don't understand my role or my position, I can't be useful in the game of God's business. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, Paul is writing about the contribution for the needy saints. He writes in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8 that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now I want you to think about that. Sometimes we have it in our minds that we're not going to be able to help others because we don't have the means. Well, here's a promise. The promise is that if you will make yourself available, the promise is that if you will put yourself out there so as to help others, so as to be useful, so as to be a vessel for honor, God can make the means available. You can't bankrupt God. 
And that's a promise. If you read this chapter, I'm not going to dwell upon this, but if you read this chapter, that's the promise of Scripture. God is able. Stop thinking about what you're able to do. Open your life up to what God is able. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance. I tell you, I've seen it time and time again. If you will reach out, if you'll use what you have to bring honor to God in engaging, engaging in good deeds, God's going to open the storehouse. He's going to bless you. Don't do it for that reason. That's an improper motive. You've killed the whole deal when you say, I'm going to give just so God will give me more. But I tell you, I've seen it time after time again in, in the lives of so many Christians that the more you give, the more you will receive. Why? Because God knows who to put, whose hands in whom to put the abundance. Let me say that again. God knows in whose hands to put the abundance. It's those who have used the surplus, who have used the abundance, who have used the gifts, who have used the talents to bring honor to him in the past. You reap what you sow. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So God gives the abundance. God has prepared beforehand the good works. That leaves us with this question. Are we ready? Are we getting ready? Are we living our lives with that intention? Are we living our lives with that purpose? And one of the main ways you get ready, and this is why we have Bible study, this is why we study the Bible, this is why we encourage people to study the Bible, one of the main ways you get ready is by reading of those good deeds which God has prepared beforehand. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. It's not just about knowing Scripture. It's not just about winning an argument about the Bible. It's about preparing yourself beforehand, understanding that you are God's workmanship so that you will be ready for those good deeds when God provides the abundance and the opportunity. You want to be a vessel for honor. These are the ways that we do it. You will be a vessel for honor. I will be a vessel for honor if I'm sanctified, if I'm useful to the master, and if I'm prepared for every good work. I set myself apart from the world because I want to be different. I make myself useful to the master because I know he is my Lord. I'm the slave. I'm the servant. He's the potter. I'm the clay. And then I'm going to get ready. For the good work that God is going to bring into my life. I hope these thoughts have helped you.
We're going to go to God now in prayer.